So I stand before you, a person wholly unqualified for this holiest of ass, and I am acutely aware of this, um, to give a message at Middle Church uh, during Children's Sabbath, an initiative of the Children's Defense Fund. And like so many invitations that I get, my first instinct is typically a resounding no. Um, I struggle with fear, uh, but there's something about communion with God that brings me to a greater place of knowing. And I knew that if, even if I was afraid and I didn't understand the why behind the invitation and I felt unqualified, this was a yes. Um, and I could think of a thousand disqualifiers to this yes. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a trained minister. I'm not a member of the clergy. I grapple with God and I get angry with people. Um, but the yes still lingered in my spirit, and I have learned to do things afraid. Um, and though I didn't understand the why, I thought that maybe I could trust the who. The first who I trusted is God, um, the same one I grapple with and have so many questions for, the same one who has spent over four decades whispering words of affirmation into my fearful and anxious heart. Every single day, I live somewhere on the continuum between overwhelmed and overcoming. And God sustains me in both places. The second who I trusted was Reverend Jackie Lewis. But our first, <laughs> our first kind of interaction or my first meeting with Reverend Jackie wasn't through me. It was with my son. Apparently, my son, who lives away at school, was introduced to her through a public speaking opportunity. And my son, who lives away at school, isn't really great at calling home. How many of you have teenagers and understand the struggle of really wanting to know more about their day but getting nothing more than a grunt? Uh, if you get more than a grunt, it's a good day. Um, but that day, he had a lot to say. And I got this call out of the blue, and his first words were, hi, mom. I was so crushed. It was, mom. There was a lady here, and she took all of your lines. <laughs> and I was so deeply confused, but he was not confused, and he kept going. We had a speaker, and this lady was talking about love, and love being the guiding light in all we do. And I looked at my roommate, and I said, this is the same thing my mom says at home, but mostly to me. Um, <laughs> And my reply was, Isaiah, many thinkers share big ideas. What was their name? And he responded, Reverend Jackie Lewis. So thank you. Thank you. The third who I trusted was Marion Wright Edelman, beloved founder and longtime executive director of the Children's Defense Fund, Children's Defense Fund sponsor of this Children's Sabbath. We are fortunate as a family to have had many interactions with her. After the shooting, when she came to Newtown, at my husband's concerts, at award ceremonies, and at my daughter's playground. She has spent years remembering us, and decades, a lifetime of doing the work. And while there aren't any words to encapsulate her legacy, I'd like to bring you into a picture of her humanity. In 2018, the Marion Wright Edelman invited me to the CDF Haley Farm in Tennessee alongside a group of women, spiritual, and movement leaders in their community. If you haven't been, I would certainly take the time to familiarize yourself. 
in the main, there are many buildings, there are many just kind of facilities, but in the main buildings and space on the property, there is um, a house and it is surrounded by a wraparound porch. And that wraparound porch is dotted with rocking chairs, adult size rocking chairs. And each one of those rocking chairs has a plaque on it with the name of an abolitionist. It is beautiful, overwhelming, I was deeply moved. But if you look even more closely on that wraparound porch, there were four tiny chairs. Their plaques read, Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson, and Carol Denise McNair. If you're unfamiliar with those names, those are the names of the four little girls murdered in 1963 at the 16th Street Baptist Church of Birmingham in a bombing by a white supremacist. I don't know that anyone at the retreat noticed or knew that I would get up in the morning and pray by those chairs because there was just something about their size that moved my spirit. To make a long story short, Marion caught me out there one day and there is a fifth chair there now alongside Addie and Cynthia and both Carols. And that chair reads, Anna Grace Marquez Green, six. There are very few words to encapsulate Marion's professional legacy, but there are even fewer that encapsulate her humanity. Remember in the beginning when I told you that I accepted the invitation to come here today, even though I was afraid? It's because I trusted the call to come because of God, Reverend Lewis, and Ms. Edelman's actions, my trusted who's. They offered the call in the most Christ-like way my human heart understood, by demonstrating compassion for our neighbor, concern for justice, and comfort for the grieving. I believe these to be essential elements of our faith. In the scripture I chose so beautifully read by my friend Chelsea, the words of Jesus, instruction. As parents and caregivers, we mirror this instruction when bringing our children to church and encouraging a faith walk. My questions for us all during this children's Sabbath, what exactly are we asking our children to come to when we ask them to come? And are we truly honoring the call? My son was eight when he survived a mass shooting and lost his sister. He was 11 when he first heard someone chant, build that wall at school. He was 13 when he looked at me one day after visiting the church of a friend and said, mom, today I know why we go to our church. <laughs> because that church we just visited would have been really nice to slaves but our church would have actually tried to do something about ending slavery. He was 16 when we began life in a new reality, a pandemic, and the summer of such horrific news of the murders of black men and women. He was 17 when we watched the hearings of the first black woman Supreme Court justice nominee. We were in Florida and I made them watch. We were on holiday and spring break, and I said, no, we are watching. Um, and we also saw the undeniable assault of her very being for one and one reason only, because she's a black woman. 
Despite all of these things, I am clear where God is. I am clear in his instruction. The Bible says in Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. In Micah, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? In Amos, but let justice roll on like river and right like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. Again in Isaiah, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are all who wait for him. Compassion for our neighbor, concern for justice and comfort for the grieving. I know where God is. I am assured of where God is. I read the instruction manual. I believe with my whole heart in the call. I just don't know where church is sometimes. Our undying, our undying hope in the Savior took to public display after Anna's murder. There were religious folks who just wanted to exploit our tragedy for everything. We had many asked to stand up for mandatory prayer in schools or homeschooling or this or that, and every time there was an asked, we waited against who we understood God to be. Every day of their lives, my husband prayed with our children in English and Spanish. We attended church and they loved the children's programming. They knew nothing but a loving God. There was no way we would trade what we knew about God for any measure of influence offered to us inconsistent with what we knew as truth. God lives and God loves. I believe the moment our daughter was killed, she met a savior with arms wide open. I also believe this truth exists for our living children, that they also have a savior that is ready to greet them with arms wide open, that there's a God that loves them in all ways, that this relationship can serve as one of sustaining faith, courage, and hope that can guide them in trying times, a comforter, a friend, an encourager, a seeker of justice, an ally, all of those things. Someone that is a who they can trust and to who they might take brave steps for, just like I trusted my who's and took a brave step today, even though I was afraid, and I'm still afraid right now and right here. <laughs> Our son somehow maintained his faith in Jesus after surviving a mass shooting and all those things I listed he has seen. I don't have the magic answer as to why, but I do think it's in part because he remembered that when our lives were typical, we taught him to come and to trust the who. And when our lives became extraordinarily difficult, like they have been every day since December 14th, 2012, he also knew he could come and he could still trust the who. Little children should come, but not into a world filled with gunfire. Little children should come but not into ashes left behind by climate change we refuse to address. Little children should come, but not onto a plane sent to the vineyard to prove a point. Little children should come, but not by forced birth or poverty or underfunded schools. Little children should come, but not into systems that ignore their well-being and tell them that we will not allow them to be who they know they are. Little children should come, 
but not where we have allowed over two million caregivers globally to die in a pandemic. Little children should come, but not into a world filled with such preventable grief. So church, if we want our children to come, may it be into the arms of a savior they know loves them deeply and into a relationship with a big loving who that can comfort in trial and offer preparation for this long haul walk of faith to make them the next generation of great leaders, to give them courage to make bold choices, whether that's to sing in choirs or to start nonprofits or all the many wonderful things that we know our children have the potential to do, but also when they come, that they are met with people, us, the adults, that would not be silent, silent. We must too decide what the fingerprint of our allegiance to Christ would look like, what our legacy of faith will be for them, that our children deserve better than silent adults. In 2015, we decided we would no longer sit in pews on Sunday that would betray us on Election Tuesday. We stepped away from a church culture that demanded our silence in the face of turmoil and injustice. And I hope we keep growing in boldness and wisdom as we continue this walk. I know what we've walked away from. And now is the time for faith communities to build what we're walking towards the shape of which should model Christ's welcome, right? For those already doing the work, maybe a little tired, maybe a little overwhelmed, or those now joining full of vigor that we might share in the continued steadfastness and hope in our trusting of the who, and that of being trustworthy who's as well, that works both ways. Uh, rest in the assurance that this, is, this journey, while arduous, it is arduous sometimes, is God-ordained, and that a strengthened call for children to come will change our now and our tomorrow, a tomorrow where children can not only come, but grow old. Thank you.